This is Radiant Reflections, the podcast of the Radiant Life Church in Sturgis, Michigan. Our heart for you is that you would live like Jesus and share his love. Today, we begin a mini-series on Christians and cancer. We've all been touched by this awful disease. Maybe some of you listening right now are facing cancer yourself, or or perhaps you have a loved one who's facing cancer. I think you'll be encouraged by this episode. Today, Pastor Ryan Bibb and Pastor Josh Harama are joined by Steve and Beth Jones. Steve Jones happens to be Ryan and Josh's former pastor. He's the lead pastor of Life Change Church. And if you're facing cancer or have a loved one that's facing cancer, Steve and Beth's story is going to be very encouraging for you. We're actually breaking this episode up into two parts. Steve and Beth have a lot to share about their family's experience with cancer. Now, here's Pastor Ryan Bibb, Pastor Josh Harama, and Steve and Beth Jones. Well, welcome to another episode of Radiant Reflections Podcast. This is a podcast of Radiant Life Church. My name is Josh Harrimo, one of your hosts, joined once again by my co-host, Pastor Ryan Bibb. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing good. How are you? Well, hey, we are really excited. We have two special guests today, and I don't just say that to be like flowery and nice. These are actually uh, two people that have had a pretty significant impact in both my life and in Ryan's life. And we can we can talk about that a little bit, but we have Pastor Steve Jones and Beth Jones with us here today. How are you guys doing? Good. Good yeah. to be in Sturgis. Yeah, good to be here for sure. Right on. So, uh, Ryan, do you wanna you wanna tell our listeners and our viewers kind of uh, what our connection is with Steve and Beth? We have slightly different, but not totally unrelated connections with the Joneses here. Yeah, it goes all the way back to 2010, right? Yeah, 2010. Yeah. 11 years. Um, the, these people interviewed, these people, <laughs> Steve and Beth interviewed uh, my wife and I for a children's pastor job, and it was the first time uh, someone gave my wife and I a shot at full-time ministry, so I got to work under Steve's leadership and Beth's leadership for Five years we had worked together from 2010 to 2015, and then, of course, you were also at the church. Yes, so so my wife and I, I don't remember what year it would have been, I think um, summer of 2009, Sounds I think about right. my wife and I started. Patience was a baby, I remember. Yes, yeah, because we, we, we decided to get crazy. We left our, Patience was born, I left my job, we left our church. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, so we were church shopping and we, we finally landed on, we're like, Hey, there's this church right up the road. You know, we lived right, like two right. and a half miles away from, from life change at the time, Burnham's Wesleyan. We said, let's go, let's just go, go check it out. And we went, we're like, well, this, this is pretty good. Let's, let's try it again the next week. And one of the selling points honestly was we came back the second week and Steve, you remembered our names. <laughs> so we walked in, the, we walked in and we're like, oh, See, that was like, a different brain, though. Josh, I, I don't you know what? But, but, <laughs> that's yeah. all right. That was like back that. when I could remember things. That's yeah, before chemo. Yeah, it's. Uh. <laughs> but that was a, that yeah. was a huge thing, you know, for us. Mm. Like we had enjoyed the, the the first week, but the fact that that we showed up and and you remembered our names, even mm. I don't know if you wrote it down and you took our pictures, but we didn't care. Yeah, like the, the fact that you greeted us by name, we were like, this is the church that we're gonna be at. So that's cool. Yeah. So then we. 
Yeah, which if we hadn't ever landed there, we never would have met Ryan. And, yeah, all kinds of dominoes would not have uh, fallen in place. Yeah. But I cool. will ask you, did they ever take you to the ice cream shop? The ice cream, the shop? Ice cream the shop? The ice cream in shop. Burnham. The only ice cream shop that's there. Oh. Fantasy Twirl. In man. the cornfield. I don't know. I don't know that we, we ever were there with the you guys the very first yeah. time. Yeah, but you weren't yeah. being interviewed. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> we had to save that for the interviews. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I, I will say again, both both Stephen, but you guys were very encouraging for Nicole and I as we kind of explored what what might it look like mm-hmm. for us to get into ministry. So yeah, yeah. we we really wouldn't be where we are today uh, without you guys' influence. So yeah, we appreciate you guys. Well, we uh, so. you're greatly missed, but you know, hey, ministry is fluid and it's all about multiplication so we're glad to help this little church plant here in Sturgis to, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> glad we could serve you guys and help out the community That's very awesome. cool very cool well hey so we have you guys on the podcast today uh, because you have uh, an interesting situation right so this is uh, this is an episode all about Christians and cancer mm. yeah <laughs> Why did we get chosen for that one? <laughs> that sounds like a great way to spend a conversation. Not something, yeah. not something you sign up for, that's for sure. No, well, so, so you guys you guys are in the situation where both of you have have or have had a cancer diagnosis. So if you're willing to talk a little bit about the type of cancer you have, the prognosis you were given, what's your current status, you know, with as far as cancer goes, are you in ongoing treatment? What, is it, what does that look like? Just paint, paint a picture for the listeners and the viewers of, of your cancer story. I don't, Beth, do you want to go first? Go first? Or, okay. sure. um, so I was diagnosed this past October 2020 uh, with breast cancer. Uh, routine mammogram. I've always been a faithful, do it every year, just faithful as, as can be, and never had had any concerns. I'd been called back before which is always a little panicky for a woman when you get called back for a second second view or whatever. Um, so when I got called back this time, I didn't even really think that much of it. But then I got um, held for further tests and further mm-hmm. tests, and they keep, they keep coming, and different people are coming in and out of the room, and you begin to think, oh, this may actually be something going on. Mm-hmm. And um, so in process of really just a couple of days, it didn't take too long, thankfully, I was given the diagnosis that I did indeed have breast cancer, and it was ultimately staged at stage 2B. It spread to my lymph nodes. Um, it is a type called triple negative, which means it's not hormone responsive. Only about 15% of breast cancers are this type. So it's a little bit harder to treat. You don't have as many options, and the prognosis is not quite as good as mm. it could be with other mm. types of breast cancer. So it was a pretty heavy diagnosis. And last, again, that was last October. The treatment was to begin immediately. They, you just start going through all the hoops. They start um, having appointments left and right. And it's a very overwhelming time in those first several days because you're processing the diagnosis. You're also meeting all these new doctors, and there's different appointments and trying to get started with the treatment plan and so on. So it was a pretty crazy couple of weeks there. Uh, but ultimately, um, began my treatment plan a couple within a couple of weeks, and for me, it has been. It started with twenty weeks of chemo, Three. and I am in week nineteen. Praise the Lord! Next Jeez. week will be the the end of chemo. That'll be the first phase of treatment. Then I'll have surgery, and surgery will then be followed with radiation and possibly more chemo. We'll see 
that comes into play or not. So, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm right in the thick of it still in, okay. in terms of treatment. What is worse on your body, chemo or radiation? Uh, I'll tell you. Check back with me in a few months, <laughs> okay. and I'll let right. you know. <laughs> I, I've, what I hear from other patients is chemo is is harder the to harder. process okay. and deal with. So we'll see. Okay. I've never heard know. anybody say, "You know what's really fun? Chemotherapy." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, chemo. Really fun. Really fun stuff. Huh. Nothing like it. Does strange things to your body. That's for sure. Hmm. All right, Steve. What about you? Like, what was your original you know, diagnosis? And all right, yeah. so I was diagnosed in 2010. And really, it was just a, I, I had a routine blood check every year for cholesterol meds. And uh, protein levels came back a little weird. And so my GP just said, hey, it's a little high. Um, why don't we get this tested again? Had it tested again, and it still came back high. And then he said, I think you need to go uh, talk to an oncologist. Um, and some of the deep doctors have told me a lot of guys wouldn't have caught this. It just so happened, I found out the GP found out because his grandmother got diagnosed with the same cancer, and it was just on his radar, whereas a lot of GPs may have not noticed this mm. protein spike a little bit. So I was diagnosed with what is called multiple myeloma. It's a very rare blood cancer. It's a cancer of the blood plasma. And so basically, you've got this plasma inside your bones, and uh, if it builds all these cancer protein things building up in there, it will eventually start eating at your bones like Swiss cheese. And then it will spread to your liver and other organs. And that's, a lot of guys don't get diagnosed until something's broken. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, a guy, I know a guy, we know a, personally a guy who, he, he got diagnosed because he swung a golf club and it broke a rib when he did it. And he, so it already spread. And for him, he had died um, within about two or three years of that. Wow. For me, um, it hadn't spread anywhere yet. It was still just a number in a blood test. And so that was in 2010. Okay. And then in, in 2010, when they first caught it, like what kind of a prognosis did they give you? Yeah, the prognosis then, and it's changed since then, but um, they said I had about three to four years to live. And back in those days, which you, you think in normal life, that wasn't that long ago, but in multiple myeloma world from a research and development standpoint. It was a long time ago. So they only had a couple of drugs that you could use in the arsenal um, to fight it. And almost always the, the drug, you're going to become resistant to it at some point in time, mm-hmm. and it's not going to work anymore. So they were really limiting, like, let's don't give it to you until we have to because this myeloma is probably going to come back, and we don't want to waste the ammo until and we have to. And they knew they couldn't cure it at that point. Right. It was- Curing was not an option, really. And so the cancer you have is incurable. Right. Is that correct? correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. Allegedly. At that time. Yeah. <laughs> At that time. Uh, yeah. And, and so, so they kind of held off for me. So I, I got the diagnosis in December. I didn't start chemo till September of the next year because they were really watching that protein level. And it kept getting climbing. And finally, they got to a point, it's time now. But they were holding off. I don't think they would do it that way today. And there's a lot of new drugs that have come out. There's been so much research with uh, immunotherapy and a lot of other drugs have been approved by the FDA. So there's no concern now that we would run out of drugs options if it ever recurred. But so, yeah, that was kind of the beginning of that story, 2010. Okay. Well, then take us through your treatments. 
Okay. So I went through treatment where I had to take, um, she probably remembers more of this than I did, but so I had a, a, a chemo pill that I took. And then I also had another drug that you mix with the chemo that you have to go in with the infusion. And then there were some steroids and all of this. And I did that for about four months until I started having some other issues because it's, it's hammering your immune system. So I developed an infection, a crazy infection in my left shoulder, which I didn't know what it was. I thought I'd pulled a muscle, sprained something. I didn't know what it was. And, and it, the pain got so severe and I put up with it for so long um, that, in fact, there was a, it was septic. And it was all because my immune system, an infection developed. And infections develop all the time. You just don't know it because your body fights it. Well, my body couldn't fight it, so it got crazy. And then I'd go to the hospital, and then I, they had to pull me off chemo for a while and blah, blah, blah. And I had numerous hospital visits because of this. And then they put me on some drugs to deal with some of those infection problems. And then some of those drugs started messing with my brain. And it was just kind of a goofy. A so a lot of the issues I had were beyond just the chemo. Um, he was the textbook for everything that can go wrong will go wrong. <laughs> right. of, yeah. All the while, I'm still trying to lead a pastor at church and somehow stand up on Sunday morning and, and give a sermon that makes sense from somebody who's uh, some funky drugs. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy season. So I had multiple hospital visits all related to some of those complications of the side effects. Not, not even not the cancer not even itself. Because the, the cancer right. itself is still in the number stage. Right. It hasn't spread yet. Just trying to fight so, the cancer. So then the, the next stage, once they get your cancer numbers down, then the next stage is you're going to have a stem cell transplant, which basically means they, harvest, well, they, they kill all the cancer in your blood as low as they can get it. And then they say, okay, now let's, let's get the stem cells. And then we're going to come around and we're going to hammer your whole immune system. We're going to kill your immune system off. And that the way we kill up, and then we're going to start from scratch, and we're going to take, we're going to go over to the freezer, and take this, um, this new, the stem cell that you gave us that is pretty much cancer free now because we already cancer, we already chemoed it, and we're going to inject it back in you, and then we're going to grow your immune system from start, and that's what a stem cell transplant or a bone marrow transplant is. That was in June of 2012, and then you're in the hospital for about a month. And you, you, so it kills all your entire immune system. So all my immune system stuff from childhood, all the vaccinations, everything starts from zero. It's gone. And you lose it all, hmm. and you start from scratch. Hmm. And then, then from there, your immune system grows and grows and grows and gets better and better and better. Um, and so that was eight years ago. Nine. Coming up on nine years ago. Nine, nine years in June. By the way, so I meet with an oncologist every three months. I've been still meeting. They still check my blood numbers. They're always monitoring me. My numbers have been almost zero since 2012, hmm. and which, praise the Lord, that's great. So last appointment I had back in, when was this? I think it was December. Uh, the oncologist was saying, when was your stem cell transplant? I said, 12, 2012. Oh, eight years. That's a pretty good run. I was like... So, Doc, and this guy's an expert, of course, I say, uh, so what's the norm? He said, usually about three years, and then you're going to have to consider another stem cell transplant or something else. And here I am eight years after the fact. My number's still zero. Um, so anyway, that was the journey. I was on a chemo, a maintenance chemo, um, 
for five years of these last eight. And then finally I said, how long do I keep taking this poison if my numbers are zero? And he goes, well, we really don't know. <laughs> we don't have a lot of you know, evidence about long-term usage of this. So if you want to get off of it, you can. It's I'm like, kind of, It's kind of uncharted territory because, again, this type of cancer, the research, everything has been changing radically in the last 10, 20 years. And so he's kind of in uncharted waters, which is a good place to be. With yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and you've definitely good, outlived their original. Yes, you know, absolutely. Right. And, uh, again, it, it's still rare. I mean, a lot of people, okay, people know who Tom Brokaw is, the, the news broadcaster. He's got multiple myeloma right now. Um, the only other person you can think of, Peter Broyle. He's the father on Everybody Loves Raymond. He mm, died well, of that, yeah. multiple myeloma. There's a few yeah. other people. Sure, that, yeah. But it's so rare, the average person just doesn't know anybody who has it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, you're the only person I've ever... Yeah. Well, <laughs> once you get it, though, then, then some should. people come out of the woodwork that you know oh. of. That, like, oh, yeah, that me, I've known. me yeah. too. Me yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> so talk with us a little bit about... And Steve, we'll start with you. When you first heard the word cancer right, in your conversations... You know, with your doctor, like, what was the first thing that went through your brain? If you can go back to that moment. Well, I know the first, when I was dealing with my, my general doctor and the numbers, the protein level, let's do another one of these tests kind of thing. I'm like, yeah, 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 they'll figure that out. No big deal. Whatever. Kind of like. His diagnosis took several weeks. We, from the time he had the first concerning It wasn't September, report, but the diagnosis didn't happen until December. So we had a process of many, many weeks to do a lot of Googling <laughs> and a lot of speculating. And it was... Okay, well, so was yeah. that good or bad? I mean, I mean, the, the fact uh, that sometimes... For her, it's great. For me, it's Because good. she wants to research I it. I want to have information. A, I don't want to hear about it. And B, I don't have time to hear about it. So, Because uh, <laughs> they said one of the worst, worst things you can you're, do... Yeah, you're, you're not Google supposed your, to Google hey, what, what does it mean if... But see, she's the person that's, you know... <laughs> she me, knows everybody's life story and who died and what they had to go through. And well, information to me is powerful. I, I mean, I think <laughs> having, having that knowledge and what to expect and what to anticipate... It's very empowering to me, and well, that sounds and, kind of and, cheesy, but but see, you're a different personality because he didn't want, he doesn't want to know anything though. I mean, I I am a need to know. Just let me know what I need to know when it's time. I don't need to know what's going to happen five years from now. I just need to know what needs to happen five hours from but now. But we did have several weeks to be thinking and preparing, and kind of knew it was coming. Yeah. Well, and it's, truthfully, okay, um, I knew I had her on board doing all the research, so I didn't need to do. I had other things to work on. <laughs> so, coast, right? yeah, I, I think if there's something crazy I need to know, she'll figure it out. Yeah, and you needed to know you had cancer. And yeah, like, and, and she like she knew the treatment and all the stuff and all the side effects, all this stuff. I didn't know. I just walk in and say, okay, let's start the stem cell transplant. Hey, what's going to happen? Uh, I'll ask her because I don't remember. So, so Beth, for for you as you were processing through this with Steve, like what were the things going through your mind? Like, okay, you know, you're doing the research, you're Googling mm -hmm. and you're, you're coming to this conclusion. Pretty sure this is pretty not sure, going to be a, yeah. a positive yeah. diagnosis. My husband potentially has cancer. Right. Yes. What, what's going and through your mind? And if he does that? have this, he probably will not live more than a couple of years because right, that was like pretty said, much at, a given at the at time. At the time, right? This yeah. is not something that. And you our walk youngest away from. child at that time was seven, eight years old. Um, it's pretty overwhelming. I mean, you think, okay, he's not going to live. This is going to be rough. We're going to go through the dying process, which to me was scarier than the actual 
him being gone, mm-hmm. the process of walking mm-hmm. through dying, which I, that's something he, you said about yourself even. It's not, it's not being dead that's scary. It's the process it's getting of dying. Dead. It's getting dead. And what you have to walk through. That's an Ed Dobson quote, by the way. It's getting dead. Yeah. It is. I'm not afraid I, of dying. I'm just afraid yeah. of getting dead. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I understand that even more now that I'm on this side of it. But, um, but at that time, yeah, it was very overwhelming. Having young kids, uh, we're in a ministry, so we live in a church-owned home. We don't have our own house. We don't have a lot of assets. We don't have a lot of money in the bank. Um, fortunately, we did have life insurance. It was the first time I didn't mind making my life insurance payments is when you actually have that kind of diagnosis. So like, glad yeah. I do that. Um, glad I could help you. <laughs> it's, it, it was overwhelming. Yep. It, it really was overwhelming. But it was also something that God showed himself from the beginning mm-hmm. that he reassured me, this is not a surprise. This doesn't catch him off guard. Mm. And whatever's going to happen, we are in God's care. We're in, we're living out his plan for our lives. And so, well, I would like to know exactly how it's all going to play out. I don't know that, but I know God does. So, Mm. and that sounds churchy and sounds like the right answer, but it really was true. I mean, God did absolutely showed up. Absolutely. But it was a shock to me. I mean, once, so it was December 13th, on a Tuesday night when, I think it was a Tuesday night, he, the doctor said, is it five o'clock at night? Here's the official word. Here's what you have. Here's how many years you probably have. Here's what we're going to try to do. And it was just a kind of a dark night. I remember we went to a restaurant parking lot over in east side of Grand Rapids and we just sat there. We cried. We, I, I don't know, we made some phone calls to our parents or something. We hadn't told our kids yet at this point. And the hardest part really was talking to the kids. Mm-hmm. And for us, um, we have a large family, so we have 10 kids. And at the time, they range from 7 to 21. And so some of them live out of state, away. We're approaching the Christmas season. Um, and, and so I didn't want to wait. I kind of wanted to wait because some of them were coming home for Christmas. So we're now less than two weeks away from Christmas so we decided we were going to kind of wait and have that conversation when kids were arriving home from college and all that. And the other thing is, is the conversation you have with a 20-year-old and the way you describe it and talk about it is different than when you've got a little 7-year-old who's only been out of pull-ups a few years and, you know, <laughs> how you talk about death. And so we really had to have those conversations in different ways. And that was just, I think, that was worse than the hospital visits and the chemo and that any of the, the torture and any of the me. needles or anything I like that. I think that was the hardest part for me was talking to those little boys, mm. seven, eight, ten, mm. you know, and saying, you know, daddy's probably not going to live and daddy's going to be very sick and having those hard conversations. Mm. Very, very hard. The other phase in the, the communication part of this was, okay, I'm a pastor in a church. Mm. Yuck. Um, like, I really, I'm the kind of guy, if I'm going to die, I just kind of like to go die privately in a cave somewhere. I really don't want, you know, I don't want to share this journey with other people. Um, I just want to be left alone. And how do you do that when you're a pastor in a church and you try to model transparency and you, you want to be real with people in your small group? Um, and how do I stand up on Sunday morning and say, praise the Lord, Jesus is good. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And then not say anything about this news that would wreck most people's world when you're 47 years old. 
And uh, Ryan, I don't know if you would remember this, but we were preaching that, that Sunday morning. Uh, I was, I'd already scheduled that I was going to be speaking on Prince of Peace, you know, and Isaiah, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. I'm doing Prince of Peace. This is the peace week. So I've been studying on peace the week I get the diagnosis. <laughs> and so I've got to stand up and somehow communicate the incredible peace of God that Jesus is our peace. Well, how do you do that? on a week that you just got a, a death, you know, death notice. Um, and I just remember, it was just a, yeah, I, somehow God got me through the message. I didn't say anything about the cancer thing until the end of the message. Um, I said, oh yeah, by the way, you know, Jesus is our peace and peace is an incredible gift from God and only God provides his peace. And then I pulled out the stool, sat down and said, oh yeah, by the way, um, uh, I had a visit with a doctor this week and here's what he said. Um, and I ended up playing a video clip of the song It Is Well With My Soul by Whitley Phipps. Mm-hmm. And I, wa- I let him close the service, and I walked out and went home. Because the last thing I wanted after that was to stand in the lobby and have everybody come <laughs> shake your hand like it was a funeral. He left me to do that. Like it, was a, like it was a funeral receiving line, you know? I didn't want that. So I literally, um, I think I had one of the other pastors close the service. I walked out, got in my car, and drove home. Hmm. Um, but to communicate that publicly, that was just a difficult thing for me to do. Because I am just, I don't mind being public where I have to be, but I just don't really want to drag people through my mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then there was a season where God had to teach me, um, you know what, you've got to be real with people. Mm-hmm. And my life group, I remember sitting in a circle with people and saying, okay, I got to tell you this. And oh yeah, by the way, I don't want to be the prayer request every week. Because I remember saying this, um, our church has a mission, and I'm not it. Mm-hmm. And how do I walk through this? And then I realized they've got to see, you know, a real guy with cancer. Oh, he has kids, and he has a wife, and he has a job, um, and he has a faith, and we're going to be watching him. And it's very difficult to do that in, on display. Mm-hmm. But I remember the life group people saying this. Um, they said, you know what? We are honored to walk through this with you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, welcome to the church. Mm-hmm. That's what the church is supposed to be. So um, that was and a turning did. point they for me. They absolutely yeah. did. And the whole church did. They were amazing. Yeah. It was a, it was a turning point for, for my faith journey with the church. Now, I had lots of other issues to work through, but um, just the idea that, okay, we're public. I, I can't hide in the closet with this whole thing. And, and so from time to time, you know, uh, I, would allow, I would allow the church to pray for me in a prayer meeting. But I had to always stress, okay, guys, we're not the only prayer request here um, kind of thing. And I, I think that the Lord allowed us to be a pastor but be a cancer patient at the same time with a, with a balance. I mean, we didn't want to be the comp- topic of conversation all the time because there's really more to the kingdom than what we were walking through. So, yeah. Thanks for listening to Radiant Reflections, the podcast of the Radiant Life Church in Sturgis, Michigan. We hope today's edition of Radiant Reflections has helped you live like Jesus and share his love with your family, friends, and neighbors. To learn more about the church family this podcast originates from, check out theradiantlife.church. That's theradiantlife.church. Maybe you have some questions after listening today. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to podcast at theradiantlife.church. That's podcast at theradiantlife.church. Don't forget to subscribe to the Radiant Reflections podcast 
When you subscribe, you'll always have the latest content delivered right to your phone from the Radiant Life Church. We'd also be grateful if you could rate and review Radiant Reflections. Every time we receive a five-star review, more people learn about this podcast. We also want to encourage you to share this podcast on social media and with your friends and family. Join us next time for another edition of Radiant Reflections. Radiant Reflections.